With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, and welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast, Episode 3. I'm Eric Murtaugh, your host once again. Uh, It's been about two weeks since we last taped an episode, and obviously a lot has changed since then. Um, Some major news in Notre Dame football. Um, As the dude would say, certain things have come to light. I know my my guest today will appreciate that Big Lebowski reference, I'm sure. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on today's podcast is a friend of OFD. You'll see him on our site from time to time. He's a moderator for the message board Irish Envy, and I know that keeps him plenty busy. Please welcome Whiskey Jack to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Happy to be here, Eric. Doing well. All right. Um, today we're going to talk about three topics. Uh, you're a bit of an expert on GSR and ROI in relation to football recruiting. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, we'll also talk about the Vanderdoes drama and how that affects Notre Dame. Um, but the but first, the biggest impact and the most recent news is quarterback Everett Golson being suspended for the upcoming fall semester. Now, Whiskey Jack, just your general thoughts and your level of disappointment with this news. Uh, disappointment is obviously huge. I, I was trying to think of um, like other individual losses that would have a, a bigger impact on the team, and I think uh, Nick's uh, and Zach Martin are probably up there, but other than those two, there's there's really no single player that would have hurt more to lose um, than Golson. Um, you know, the, during the the Kelly era, we we really haven't had uh, kind of a, a complete competent quarterback uh, for any stretch of time. And toward the second half of last season, it looked like Golson was finally going to be that guy and take us to the next level. Um, and then, of course. This hits, and now we're we're back at square one. Um, that that said, um, we may have the the best backup quarterback in the country in Tommy Reese, certainly the most experienced, um, and we're we're not nearly in the as bad a shape as we were when uh, when Chris got injured in early uh, 2010. So you know that that said, we're we're not nearly as bad off as, as we could have been, but it, it's certainly a, a big disappointment. I think if you look at the uh, the, the plunge that the uh, Vegas Sharps have, have given us in our odds of making the national title game, um, it, it's clear that this was a big loss. That's right. I actually just saw that today. I think it's plunged down to 50-1 to one or so. It's pretty That's right. I think we were at uh, 28 or uh, twenty-eight to 1 uh, before the, the, the Golson news broke, so it's pretty significant. So if you're feeling frisky, make sure you head to Vegas and put some money down before the season starts. That's a, I think that's a pretty, pretty good bet. Um, well, yeah, even without goals, and fifty to one is a is pretty good odds. I'll take those. Yeah, it's actually funny. Now we'll get we'll get to uh, Tommy Reese and what we expect uh, this fall. Um, it's funny when the Vanderdoes news hit. I was you know disappointed, obviously, but my next thought was, well, it can't get any worse than this. 
And then my, my next immediate thought was, at least we still have Golson, and the offense is going to be strong, especially looking towards 2014. And then, of course, the Golson news happens, and it's just utter disappointment. Um, yeah. So we I have want, you, to, you to thank for this jinx. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Sorry to everyone out there. Um, I've actually I wanted to talk a little bit about um, whether you thought you've seen the appropriate amount of disappointment from the Notre Dame fan base because I thought it was interesting to see um, some people kind of back away from Golson almost. Um, initially, I was obviously disappointed that he wasn't going to be playing this fall. And then when the, the, the news first broke, uh, you're thinking, well, he's expelled. You know, Maybe this is the end of his career. And I'm wondering, are people being a little bit more harder on him because we want more leadership from the quarterback position? We know how important the quarterback position is. Uh, as opposed to, say, uh, a, a few other players in the past that have had academic uh, transgressions and ended up coming back to Notre Dame. You know, it, I, I can only really speak to what I've seen on Irish Envy, because as a moderator there, I, that's, I spend the vast majority of my time there, and that's kind of how I, um, you, you know, where my feel for kind of the pulse of Envy Nation is, is coming from. Right. Um, and that said, I, I really haven't seen a whole lot of people beating up on Golson and getting really down on him. Um, obviously, there, there's a lot of disappointment for what it means for the team going forward, particularly our prospects in 2013. Um, I, I, there's an awful lot of, of pride in you know the fact that you know Notre Dame does things the right way. How many other programs would have actually uh, you know taken such a serious disciplinary measure against? A, a key member of their, um, you know, an elite football team like this. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's maybe just a coping mechanism. But on the whole, I, I don't. I haven't seen anyone saying they don't want Everett back. I can't even recall a, a single post to that effect. So um, I think everyone at this point is hoping that he's going to do. Um, he's going to jump through the hoops that the administration sets for him, and that he will return in 2014. Um, and I, I'm of the same mindset. You know, I, I hope he uh, – it sounds like he wants to come back. Um, I, I, I think he's going to have a lot of work to do to get back into the school and then to re-earn Kelly's trust. But um, our quarterback picture is going to be scary in 2014 and beyond if we don't get him back. So I'm, I'm really hopeful he, he does make it. So you are pretty comfortable with his chances of coming back. I know a lot of people – well, pretty much no one's going to say they don't want him back, but – I've seen some people say that they don't think he's going to be able to make it back. Would you say you're pretty comfortable with his ability to make it back to Notre Dame? Well, I, I, I think it's it, it's strongly in the realm of possibility, but it, it's it's really going to depend on uh, on how badly Golson wants it. Because I, I think, as I said previously, that there are going to be uh, some very difficult hoops for him to jump through, and it's going to be um, – kind of a, a test of his, his maturity and his desire to work his way back, whether or not that's going to happen. Um, I, I don't know as much about the process and the, the, the history with ND football as, as some others do on our message board, certainly. Um, but my impression is that there's, there's lots of um, precedent out there for, for guys that have, have left for 
um, you know, academic reasons, not maybe for academic disciplinary reasons, but you know, there there are certainly guys that have had to to leave for a semester. Um, uh, Gary Gray and Darren Walls come to mind um, for academic reasons, and kind of left, straightened things out, got their house in order, and then uh, came back and finished out their career, their careers productively. Um, and I think Golson can do the same. That's right. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, I also would say that just looking at it from the terms of the leadership at Notre Dame, that this is a pretty high-profile case for them, and it's not a situation where I'm sure they're not too keen on seeing Everett Golson uh, fail in his attempt to come back. So I think if you're looking at it from that perspective, that there's going to be a lot of help. There's going to be um, you know a lot of just a lot of help from the Notre Dame community to be able to get him back into Notre Dame. So um, other, other thing I wanted to say was it's kind of interesting um, the night that that news broke, obviously I was disappointed he wasn't going to play, but then I was thinking, you know, it's kind of weird and I'm not really comfortable with uh, Golson kind of being this quote unquote bad guy. And it's kind of hard to come to grips or get your, wrap your mind around, him not coming back and this just being the end of the story. So hopefully he's able to come back next season. Um, now let's let's look forward to this fall. Um, what would would you say that Tommy Reese is uh, pretty much a lock to start the season against Temple? Uh, probably, you know, just because of the uh, experience advantage he has, the the trust Kelly has in him. Uh, he, he's certainly the odds-on favorite to to start and probably be our starter for the whole season. Um, I, I, I'll limit that answer to that, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and kind of an offshoot to that argument, is there any changes to the offense you think we should see this fall? Or do you think we're going to revert more to what we saw uh, two seasons ago when Reese was the, the getting most of the snaps? Um, you know, it, 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 it's hard to say. Um, that That is that is the, the biggest problem with Tommy is that his lack of athleticism hamstrings the offense from a schematic point, uh, right. vantage point. You know, he doesn't have the arm strength to uh, stretch the field. Um, he, he can't scramble on third and eight for a first down. Uh, he can't improvise really when his uh, pass protection breaks down uh, and buy time to hit someone downfield. So, um, you know, j just looking at how 2011 went, um, He's he's a great game manager, and when our running game is rolling, um, we'll we'll do fine. But when we come up against teams that have um, an athletic front seven that are that are good enough to to stop our running game, um, it, it really it, it forces the game onto Tommy's arm, and he's just too limited to win the game on his own. Um, it, you know, looking at the teams we're going to face in 2013, uh, Michigan State. BYU, Stanford, and um, Michigan um, are all going to have either very good to elite run defenses. Um, That's right. And I, I, I see us having a really hard time uh, with all four of those teams with Tommy under center. So, you know, part of me really hopes that Hendricks is the guy. Um, there were some rumors coming out of spring that the light had finally turned on for him. Um, he's really the only quarterback of the three options we have that has both the athleticism uh, to force a defense to cover the whole field and the experience to take over and, you know, not make a bunch of 
freshman mistakes. Um, it's probably not a good chance of it happening since he's been on campus for four years already and we've barely seen him, um, but it's my hope at least. Now, in, in regards to Reese, I just wanted to say I'll, I'll boil it down to two main points. Um, I'm wondering how conservative the offense is going to be and what the turnovers are going to look like. Um, I think a lot of people would tend to lean towards the offense being a little bit more conservative like it was last year. A lot of two tight end sets. Let's run the ball a lot. Uh, let's try to uh, get some play action. Hopefully see if Reese can hit some deep passes and stuff like that. But I'm kind of on the other side. And I was wondering what your thoughts would be if we kind of went a little bit more aggressive because Tommy's experienced. Um, he's Hopefully he's improved a little bit. He's grown. Um, and maybe go to an increased tempo and kind of open things up a little bit more with more of a ball control uh, short passing game. Uh, it, it's possible. Um, I, I think uh, it's hard to be aggressive with Tommy because there are whole swaths of the field that he, he just – because of his limits athletically, he can't attack effectively, um, which is is why you see, uh, you know, defenses constantly bringing a safety down, stacking the box, sitting on the underneath routes, the only ones that Tommy can really throw effectively, and that just, you know, uh, decreases his margin of error to zero. Um, yeah. Obviously, I increasing tempo, if Tommy's able to do that, would, would help a lot because it will give the defense less time to... Um, you know, disguise coverages and try to jump the snap count and anticipate what Tommy's doing. That was another problem, a major problem in 2011 with how slow the offense was and, you know, Tommy needing a full 25, 30 seconds to get the right calls in um, and to recognize the coverage. If he is capable of, of really picking up the pace, I think that might help to mask some of his deficiencies. Um, Again, those short passing games, the the screen game is real important there, uh, and you know, quick outs to the flats. And Tommy just doesn't have the arm strength to really zip those balls as quickly as he needs to, um, which is why we saw so many blown up screen passes and uh, you know dropped balls on the perimeter last time. Um, I don't know, you know, we, we we haven't seen a whole lot of Tommy in the last year. Um, he looked good when he came in to pitch relief. Um, I just don't know how how that's going to change if everyone knows it's him and has a you know a week to plan for him. Um, I, I think he's a lot more effective coming into pitch relief than he is when everyone knows what to expect. That's a good point on the screen game. For whatever for whatever reason, we just haven't been able to develop that uh, for the past three years. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about was in relation to being conservative like you mentioned, going against these Stanford defenses, the Michigan State's, the BYU's, part of me is just so scared to death of, you know, going out there and two tight ends, putting Reese under center and thinking that we're going to be able to run the ball on these defenses. It's just a bit of a nightmare for me to to uh, envision that scenario. So um, uh, let's transition towards uh, Hendricks. I know you talked about him a little bit already. Um Let's just say he doesn't start the season and he is a backup the rest of the season. Do you think it's time to give up on him? And um, looking towards 2014, would you bring Hendricks back if there was a scholarship available? Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were there. 
Oh, well, there, there's no question. I, I think we he, he's getting asked back regardless just because of our numbers at quarterback. He uh, With Tommy gone after this season, Hendricks is going to be the only veteran that's returning. So um, regardless of what happens, even if he rides the bench this whole season, I'm certain he's going to get asked back. Um, I don't think he would, he would come back and take a fifth year uh, because of his med school aspirations unless he gets major playing time this year, which is another reason I'm really pulling for him. Because if Hendricks becomes the man, um, it really makes our offense a lot more effective this year, and it buys Kelly an extra year to kind of transition successfully to uh, Zaire and to bring in a couple more quarterbacks and restabilize our um, our quarterback depth. Because um, if Golson is riding the – or um, if Hendricks rides the bench again the whole – season. He, I don't see any reason for him to come back for a fifth year. Um, so yeah, I, I think he, we have to bring it, ask him back one way or another. I just don't think he's actually going to take the fifth year unless he sees some significant playing time. So that's a little bit of an interesting uh, dilemma there for the coaches. Probably will have Zaire and Hendricks battling for backup snaps and on the one hand you probably would like to get Hendricks involved as much as you can, as much as he's able to so he comes back for that fifth year, but on the other hand, um, you want to get Zaire, uh, you want to get his feet wet a little bit, so he's heading into next fall 2014 with some experience, so it'll be interesting to see how the coaches uh, handle that situation this year. I, I, I think that's the ideal, is, is having Hendrick starting Tommy pitch and relief again, and, and Zaire coming in you know, late in blowouts to mop up minutes to, to get his feet wet. Um, you know, I, I think the initial plan was, of course, to to redshirt him. It's it's always nice to be able to redshirt a freshman quarterback, but um, with the depth concerns now, I don't think we can afford to. He's uh, we've got to get the ball in his hands as soon as possible. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, one of my recent articles talked about uh, how I think they could still redshirt Zaire. I don't think they're really going to uh, push him into the lineup, especially if the team starts out, you know, 3-0, 4-0, 5-0. But at some point, he's probably going to have to play. I'm just not a big fan of the two-quarterback system. So if he's able to get his feet wet in some blowouts and late in games, uh, I think that'd be a, a pretty good situation. Yeah. Um, now let's, let's look towards uh, recruiting here for a little bit before we move on from this topic. Um, we have Kyle Allen coming in in a couple weeks. Uh, the top quarterback out of Arizona. Um, this will be his first visit. Uh, his teammate Mark Andrews has visited. He apparently is really high in Notre Dame. Knowing what we know now uh, with the Golson news, uh, his return possible, possibly in limbo, uh, are you thinking, Whiskey Jack, that we should be taking two quarterbacks this cycle no matter what? Um, absolutely. Um, my philosophy is that uh, ideal depth outside of the offensive line is, is four deep at every position, uh, and especially quarterback. Um, and I think Kelly agrees with that, with his philosophy of taking at least one quarterback every year, even when we have four or five quarterbacks. Um, the position is just too important to ever skip it entirely. Um, and with Rees leaving after this year, our only chance for achieving that ideal depth of four quarterbacks is if we can convince Hendricks to come back for his fifth year and we take to this uh, in this cycle. So my ideal would, of course, be uh, Kyle Allen and uh, Brandon Dawkins. Um, 
I like Dawkins. He's a little raw. I think he's the perfect second quarterback. I don't think we can take him yet until we get a better feel for where we are with Allen. Um, but hopefully, you know, Allen visits in June, loves it. He and Andrew's verbal. We can take Dawkins shortly after that, and then we'll be um, we'll be really rolling on the offensive side of the ball. That's right. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, and I think – uh, maybe the third quarterback in line there is Deshaun Kaiser. He doesn't have an offer yet, but um, if for whatever, whatever reason Kyle Allen doesn't verbal, uh, I think we might the coaches might turn their eyes towards Kaiser. Agreed. Uh, he's he's out of Ohio, big, tall kid, athletic. Kind of reminds me of a, I'll say he reminds me of a rich man, rich man's Luke Massa. Um, <laughs> so hopefully, I would agree. Two quarterbacks this cycle. Um, now we're looking at, I think, at 21 scholarships right now. Uh, this class wasn't going to be very big, but now it's looking like it could be on the, the larger side. So I think they can afford to take two quarterbacks as well. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's 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 transition to our next topic here. Uh, before the Golson news broke, we had some other drama that's still playing itself out. Five-star incoming freshman defensive tackle Eddie Vanderdoes is apparently not reporting in June. He's had a change of heart. That's all we really know at this point. He keeps updating the world with the fact that he'll have more updates in the future. Yes. Um, so it's looking like he is a lock not to report. Uh, this isn't really a huge impact for this fall. I think most people had him as a backup defensive end who was probably going to play about the same amount as Sheldon Day. I mean, that it, it hurts in its own right, but it was, it's not crippling for this year. Where it yeah. really does hurt is uh, for 2014, where uh, Notre Dame could be potentially losing several defensive linemen. Um, so I want to ask you again, similar to quarterback, how many defensive linemen would you be taking in this cycle? We've already got two. Well, we do. Uh, you know, in getting back to that philosophy, we we have at, at least three defensive linemen on the field at all at all times. Uh, we would prefer, and as arguably the 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 most important um, a positional group of all. Uh, I think that that's definitely one you want maxed out. You want you know eleven or twelve D linemen on the on the roster at all times. Um, Stockton runs out of eligibility. Uh, so does Schwenke. Uh, it's pretty obvious at this point that Nix is not going to come back for a superfluous fifth year when he's, you know, got millions of dollars on the table from the NFL draft. Um, and then Tuit could potentially leave early as well um, after this season. There's, I'm not 100% sure he's not coming back. I know his his mother has stated many times that you know he needs to get the degree. She's set on that. We'll see if the offer of several million dollars changes the tune on that. I put him as, as a coin flip to come back personally. Um, but let's assume he goes. So that's going to leave us with, for 2014, Yutubo, Springman, Hounschel, Day Jones, one, two, three, four, five, Rochelle, Matuska, seven, Hayes and Trombetti get us to nine, assuming they both stick. Um, so I would say we need at least two more uh, possibly three, if we can find enough, you know, elite linemen that the the staff likes to get us back to ideal depth for, for 2014, or 2013, 2014. Yeah, and it's not even uh, a sure thing that Hounshell will be able to come back from another shoulder injury, so that could be another, another player point. loss there. So 
Um, the thing I want to talk about was you just mentioned all the players. I was going to uh, run through all those players. You did that for me. That's great. <laughs> the biggest issue I see is nose guard. Who's going to play nose guard in 2014? You have uh, Nick's gone, Schwenke gone, Springman apparently lost weight and is a defensive end. He could uh, put back on weight and move into the middle. Uh, is Day going to be is Day big enough? Do you want to move him in the middle? Uh, I think that's probably the biggest question as far as 2014 is concerned. Would you agree? Yeah, and you know it's uh, it brings up an interesting question as to whether or not we're looking to move to a four three at some point, um, because over the last several recruiting cycles, nose tackle has has mysteriously not been a priority for the staff, even though Nix is has has always been the only true nose tackle on our roster. Um, you know, recruit Knicks that follow Notre Dame recruiting are always wringing their hands over who's going to replace Knicks. We don't have anyone like him on our on our roster. And, you know, I just um, – Kelly's staff has been so good at recruiting. And, you know, if, if, if we as fans notice it, they clearly are well aware of it. Um, I think that is one of the, the biggest red flags that we may be transitioning to a 4-3 at some point in the near future because they just don't seem too concerned about getting another player like Knicks. Um, I don't have any other way to disc- uh, to explain that. Yeah, you're looking at the roster. It almost seems like the 3-4 is untenable in 2014. On the other hand, uh, it doesn't seem like they're too married to the 3-4. Uh, the coaches have repeatedly said uh, over and over that you know it's a 60-40 split or something like that. Uh, uh, as, as far as the 4-3 goes, you would still probably need more bodies on the inside. Would you agree with that? We might have to move... Uh, Ishak in the in the inside, possibly uh, Aquara, and um, maybe even look at some offensive linemen uh, moving over. I know, obviously, they're not going to move Elmer or Stanley, but uh, possibly I, three guys here, maybe Harrell, Montellus, and Montgovern. I know no one wants to move uh, these stud offensive linemen, but you're looking at 10 possibly new offensive linemen if they pick up another one later this uh, later this cycle, that's 10 uh, young offensive linemen, and you have a bit of a, uh, a hole on the defensive line. And yeah. it's not not a situation where uh, recruits for 2014 are really going to come in and make a, a big di- uh, big difference. You don't want freshmen coming in in their first season and having to be on the two deep or possibly starting on the inside. Yeah, of the uh, of the current. Offensive line commits. I, I, if I recall correctly, Mustafer is the one that is most frequently uh, noted as one that could potentially flip uh, right. to the D line. So since you know the the staff hasn't invested any coaching on in him on the O line already, if that becomes necessary, I'd expect them to move Mustafer first before they move any of the um, 2013 guys. And it's it's interesting that the coaches really haven't moved uh, anybody. Over three years, I think Hounshall at one point had flip-flopped, but other than that, we really haven't seen any movement uh, from offensive lineman to defensive lineman and vice versa. So we'll see uh, if the coaches uh, go down that road over the next uh, eight to twelve months or so. Yeah. So looking towards this fall, uh, obviously some younger players are going to have to step up. Uh, do you think anyone would have to step up more than uh, Jaron Jones? Yeah, I mean, I, I would feel a lot more com- uh, uh, 
comfortable, well, not comfortable, never happy about it. I, I would be less worried about Vanderdose's defection if Jones was in a, in a better place. Uh, it's, from the reports we've gotten, you know, Jones just hasn't really gotten locked in, um, isn't really motivated and driven enough to break into the two deep. And, you know, we, we all expected that Jones was going to be the, you know, first one in line um, behind uh, Cappy when he left, and it turns out that Day has just been a huge um, surprise, and Jones is not even in the two deep at this point. Um, so, you know, he, the, the guy, he, he's, he's got all the, all the physical tools. I think he's just got to pull it together mentally, but uh, with the depth on the D-line and the imminent departure of Nick's to it, Schwenke and Stockton, Vanderdoes, uh, he is going to have to step up a lot sooner than later. Um, so I'd say he, he's probably one of the, at the top of the list of young guys that have to step up for us. Um, you could point to uh, Amir Carlisle, George Atkinson, uh, Cam McDaniel. I mean, those guys are upperclassmen now, juniors, but none of them have any real experience yet. Um, and because of our quarterback situation, we're going to have to rely heavily on the running backs. One of those guys definitely needs to step up. Um, outside of them, it, it's hard, hard to pick someone. Um, you know, I, Michael Deeb, I think, is going to be in the two deep from day one because of how thin we are at inside linebacker. Um, hopefully he's not going to be called on to play major minutes, but um, we we can't. He's one of those few character, uh, those few players that we just cannot afford to have bust. Um, and we, we've got a few areas on the depth chart where um, our backups are unfortunately in that position. Yeah, going back to Jones, I know he's still a young player. Uh, and I think he was a high four-star kid. Um, I think his situation is just a little bit disheartening right now. Just from my point of view, he doesn't seem to have that explosiveness uh, off the line. I was hoping maybe he could be uh, a little bit less effective of a version of Capron Lewis Moore. Uh, if he's able to do that this year, I think that's great. Um, but that remains to be seen. Um, so do you think someone like Aquara could bulk up and eventually be a full-time defensive lineman? I know he's kind of a technically a cat linebacker right now. Do you think he is possibly someone that they could uh, transition inside? Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, when, when Aquara joined the team, um, the, the, the kid was, I believe, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, already 240, 250 pounds, could squat 600 pounds, was the youngest kid on the team by far. Uh, still, there are a lot of guys that, that we just brought in in the 2013 class that are older than Hokwara, even though he was in the recruiting class ahead of them. Um, the guy's got to be at the top of the list of just athletic freaks on the roster. So I, I have little doubt with his frame that um, Longo could mold him into a, a great defensive end for us if he wanted. Um, the real issue is right now, uh, Okwara is the only guy from the 2012 class that is currently at outside linebacker. So if we move him to defensive end, it creates a pretty big hole on the depth chart. Um, and outside linebacker, the depth there is fabulous in 2013, but is going to drop off considerably in 2014 and beyond when we lose uh, Shembo and Spond. So... You know, I, I think that that may be one area where we're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul because we don't have a lot of outside linebackers right now. That said, 
you know, getting back to the mystery of why we haven't recruited a nose tackle, um, this could be further evidence that we're moving to uh, a 4-3 in that the staff has not been recruiting as many outside linebackers as you would think we would need otherwise. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of a flexibility there um, as far as Ed Rushers. You know, we're losing uh, Shembo, but uh, and Spond is gone as well. I think someone like Jalen Smith could really be an X factor uh, as far as rushing goes. I know he's not really a prototypical uh, defensive end body type, but uh, he's the type of player who you could line up on the outside and get after the quarterback, uh, especially in a 4-3. Yeah. It's not really, it's not a perfect solution, but when you have a someone that talented, it makes life a little bit easier. Yeah, it's it's more of a numbers issue from my point of view. Like after 2013, we lose both Shembo and Spawn, an outside linebacker. We still have Rabasa, Ishak Williams, Ben Council, Okwara, and Jalen Smith. Five guys. If we move Okwara to defensive end, we're down to four guys, and one of them runs out of eligibility after the 2014 season. Um, and just trying to get a feel for who the staff is looking to recruit this year, it doesn't seem like outside linebacker is really pressing for them. A couple of insiders have repeatedly said we're only looking to take one or two. Um, and if you know we were looking to stick with a 3-4, you'd think, well, geez, with the kind of guys we've got graduating in the next couple of years, they'd be looking to take uh, two or three at least, and that doesn't seem to be the case. So um, I'm not sure. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, we do have Martini in the 2014 class, uh, Deeb coming in this f summer for inside linebacker. Mm -hmm. uh, I was interesting, wondering what you thought uh, where Randolph would play this fall. I, you know, Randolph obviously is a swing guy. Could be Cat Forrest, could play inside linebacker. I currently have him projected an inside linebacker because our depth there is even more frightening than it is at outside linebacker. We Obviously, we're in good shape this year. We've got both Fox and Calabrese. Uh, at the will. We've got Grace at the mic, uh, Kendall Moore backing him up. Um, but we didn't take any inside linebackers in the 2012 class. Um, and in the 2013 class, assuming Randolph starts an inside linebacker, we have both Deeb and Randolph. Uh, we've got Martini already verbaled, but we, we still need um, at least two, hopefully three more inside linebackers in this class to get up to uh, some healthy depth at inside linebacker. Um, moving forward. So, yeah, I, I think we're going to see Randolph um, probably starting off at the will. Okay, just to finish up this segment, uh, just one more question. As far as 2014 is concerned, are you more worried about the quarterback position or the defensive line? The quarterback, definitely. Um, you know, we, we've got two uh, first-team All-Americans in next and Tuit and Day looks like an All-American in the making. So, you know, our first team defensive end is awesome. And, um, you know, our, our staff has really been able to get the most out of bench players who potentially wouldn't have been very productive in the past. You know, we, we've seen lots of uh, good reps out of Schwenke. Utubo has put on a ton of weight and apparently is going to be a useful edge rusher. Um, this year, I think he's up to like 285. Springman, you, you know, we we have we have depth there. We have guys that can step in and and give our all Americans a blow. So um, I'm not too worried about our D line this year. Um, I, I think our the quarterback situation is going to be a lot more crucial to our offensive success, which is probably 
not a very risky thing to say in any given year. Um, but the, the quarterback is going to make or break our offense more than the D-line is going to make or break our defense this year. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. To, we're heading into year four, and the quarterback's position really hasn't been settled at all. It's got to be pretty frustrating for Brian Kelly. Absolutely. I, I just I, I hope he sticks around. Yeah, he's just been. Uh, it feels like it's been nothing but bad news in 2013. All right, let's head to our last segment here. Um, you're a bit of an expert with football ROI. That's football return on investment, and this is a bit of a way to measure academics uh, that makes sense for football players and football recruits. Um, can you just kind of run us through a little bit what this is all about, and give us a bit of a layman's term in terms of de definition? Certainly. Um, why don't I start by giving you a, a, a brief history of why I created it and how I did it. Sure. Um, so first, uh, on, on Irish Envy, we, we frequently get posters from other rival fan bases coming on and uh, we're, we're just and I'm sure most Irish fans have done this at some point um, you know you, you get into arguments over um, who has better academics you know who's offering their athletes a better education and there's there's a whole lot of hand-waving and whatnot what 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 is considered a good education uh, both of these schools are good which one is better how do we measure it um, the, the most commonly cited academic ranking the US News and World Report um, is is really unimpressive when you dig into the methodology. Uh, it's got all sorts of subjective factors. Like for instance, five percent of the weighting in that ranking is based off of alumni giving rate, which really has no obvious connection to anything related to how good is the school. Um, the the largest thing they weigh is uh, is their what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's basically a, a poll of you know academics and various people um, to determine you know your school's reputation how good do people think your school is again that's only tangentially related to how good the school actually is uh, I could list off a whole bunch of um, engineering schools that are incredible and would you know end up you can make up making end up making top dollar attending them but most people don't know about them um, and they, they end up sending those surveys to um, to high school guidance counselors as well. So, you know, there, there's just a lot of muddy stuff in there that is is hard to verify and is is subjected to, to bias and whatnot. So I, I went looking for something more reliable, something objective that, you know, we could say, okay, these are these are based off of hard figures and we can compare various undergraduate institutions that way. And I found um, the the pay scale uh, college ROI ranking, which basically ranks schools based on uh, the return on investment they offer their graduates. So they compare what it costs to graduate from the school with what the average graduate makes in their first 30 years out. Um, and they rank the schools as a result. And they have all those figures there for graduation rates and what the tuition figures are, um, how much the average alumni makes so I, I use that uh, th that to me was much more reliable it just doesn't have as much of a subjective element to it um, so I, I took that and then I adapted it to football purposes to be used as a recruiting tool so instead of using the graduation rates for the general undergraduate population I plugged in the football GSR graduation success rate um, 
and I did that for uh, Caucasian players and African-American players and overall and created these, these various tables based off of the, the degree value information of uh, which schools with you know, BCS caliber football programs are offering um, the best education. Um, and I think it's, it's important because the, the scholarship um, that football recruits are being offered is really the only um, compensation that they they're getting offered at this point. So you know, if if one school is offering a far more valuable degree than another, um, NFL prospects aside, those are those are really the schools that are uh, compensating their their athletes fairly, and that's how I, I I generated the ranking, and you know, it gets cited frequently on on our message board. I, I don't know if it makes any difference. Um, well, we've gotten some indication that the the staff is, is hammering on this type of data quite heavily in recruiting, and it seems to be working um, with how well recruiting has been going. But you know that, that that's how it came to be. Yeah, and uh, just speaking from my own experience, uh, it seems as though a lot of people want to say that the vast majority of the schools are good schools. For example, if you were to say a player is looking at UCLA, Notre Dame, you say, well, they're both good schools. But there's definitely uh, an objective difference between those two schools as far as those football players are concerned, right? Of, of course. So we'll use Notre Dame and UCLA as an example. Uh, Notre Dame's 30-year return for graduates, above and beyond what you know an average person would make with just a high school degree, is uh, about 1.25 million. Um, for UCLA, it's 727,000. Now. That, that's good. If we just organize the chart based on the degree value alone without factoring in the, the graduation rates, uh, that puts UCLA at 16th out of you know every school that has uh, a BCS caliber program, which on my ranking there's 71. So 16 out of 71, that, that's not bad. You could certainly qualify that as, as a good school, um, at least just from a strictly degree value standpoint. Um, but unfortunately, uh, UCLA and, and most of the California schools, in fact, do a really poor job of graduating their minority athletes. Uh, UCLA, in fact, only graduates 51% of its African-American players, uh, whereas Notre Dame graduates 100% of them. So when you factor in those graduation rates as well and take a look at what the expected degree value is for an African-American recruit who's considering you know Notre Dame versus UCLA, the, it really widens that gap. Um, Notre Dame at, at that point is offering roughly four times the amount of degree value that UCLA is, um, and, and I think that this is this is hopefully a way to to really throw the these differences into stark contrast. You know the the graduation success rate for football players um, is is a really telling stat. I, I think it uh, encapsulates a lot of things like. Um, the, the, just the culture at the school. Um, do they expect their athletes to go to class, um, to you know, take real majors, graduate with real degrees? Do they have the academic support um, to, you know, to, to, to help them uh, juggle their 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 full uh, athletic and academic schedule? Um, you know, if you look at some of the schools at the bottom of the football ROA ranking, it, it's very clear that um, you know. 
educating these athletes is just not a priority for them. And it's reflected in uh, graduation rates that are, you know, sub 50%. Um, how, as a parent, you could um, look at that data and willfully, you know, hand your child over to those people, um, I don't know. But, of course, I, I probably have a slight bias here. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this uh, a couple of days ago. If you look at the spreadsheet that you've made here, and we'll po post a link to this on our site uh, when we put the podcast up, there's really three universities that are above and beyond the rest of the country, and those three are Stanford, Duke, and University of Notre Dame when you're looking at uh, expected 30-year return on investment. And the biggest uh, point that you showed me was the jump from the third school, which is Notre Dame in this instance, to the fourth school, Vanderbilt, is quite a large gap. Absolutely. Um, and, and really, if, if we start looking at who are our major recruiting rivals through this lens of, of uh, degree value, it, it becomes clear that you know, some, of the, some of our traditional rivals, the ones that we go head-to-head -head with frequently, like uh, USC and, and Michigan, aren't perhaps our most dangerous recruiting rivals. Um, as you mentioned, Stanford, Duke, and Notre Dame are, are all grouped pretty close together at the top, and then there's a big gap between Vanderbilt, which comes in fourth. Um, fortunately for us, Duke doesn't have a competitive football program. So really, Stanford is the only school out there that is competing with us um, for those blue-chip football recruits that are also looking for an elite uh, education. Um, and, and looking at potential threats to us on this front, you know, Vanderbilt, um, you know, they're, they're sitting at about 75% of what Notre Dame is offering at number th uh, third on the list. Um, but they're also in the SEC, and they've been having some success. So if James Franklin really gets that program on, um, on the right track and starts taking down some, you know, uh, taking down some giants in the SEC, it's going to be a lot harder for us to pull kids out of the South because Vanderbilt is so much closer, and then Franklin can, um, you know, somewhat credibly say, you know, why go to Northern Indiana for an elite education when you can, you know, stay closer to home, play in the SEC. So Vanderbilt is is a potential problem there. Uh, Northwestern as well, not not as close in. Um, in degree value, but they're they're probably the the closest school that can claim to be somewhat close to Notre Dame regionally as far as academic cachet. Um, so if if you know if Northwestern really starts making noise in the Big Ten, we could see uh, we could start losing recruits to them as well. It's a bit of a crazy world, isn't it? We're talking about Vanderbilt, Stanford, and Northwestern. Uh, even yeah. ten years ten years ago, it wouldn't seem. Uh, possible, but it just goes to show you how things can change. And Stanford, it would be really interesting to see how long this uh, elite level of football lasts. Uh, I would expect the rivalry, rivalry between Notre Dame and Stanford to really uh, amp up over the next four or five years. Yeah, you know, in, in some respects, it's, you know, revenge of the nerds, and that, that should be celebrated. The fact that, you know, there are multiple schools out there that are, um, you know, is, is still living up to the ideal of the student-athlete that are doing it the right way, that are really educating their kids and putting a competitive product on the field. And, and that, that's a good thing in general. But, you know, put, putting on my, my green tinted glasses for a while, looking at it strictly from Notre Dame's interest, 
that's not good for us because the the brand we've developed now is you know we, we want to be one of if not the only school that's offering elite football and elite degree value and you know if if the Vanderbilts and Northwesterns and Stanford's of the world um, continue in the ascendancy um, that, that that's going to pose some real challenges for us in recruiting. All right, I think that's going to wrap up podcast episode number three. Whiskey Jack, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll post some of these links uh, on our site. Like I said, hopefully you had some fun today. Hopefully you learned a little bit, and we will see you in a couple weeks.